yeah, like people really were like, oh yeah, that sounds cool. I'm not really so sure. So I whipped up a quick proof of concept and um, whipped up that terminal theme that actually ended up going into uh, production for the April Fool's Day theme. And people were just kind of blown away. They're like, oh wow, I didn't realize that this was so powerful that we have so much control here. So, you know, we were able to really, you know, get in there and uh, shake things up because everything was all using the one, you know, system. So for that specific theme, you made everything pretty much stark black in the background. You changed the font to like a console font and then made all the text like lime green, not even like a modern terminal, like to be clear, <laughs> right? It was. I actually went and looked up the color codes for the VT, what is it, 264, or something like Dang. that. I actually went and looked up the original manuals for that and pulled some of the color codes. I was going to take it even further and do like the reds and blues, you know, whatever, <laughs> all those like original colors, but I didn't get to it. And like we even turned off the anti aliasing on the text. So it was like super jagged and yeah. hopefully looked like a super old machine. I say we, I mean Ben. As large organizations find themselves navigating their way around hybrid cloud, developers are being asked to shift their priorities as well as their mindset for this new world. For insight on new cloud architectures, deployment strategies, and the shifting culture landscape, tune into Cisco's podcast, Cloud Unfiltered. Here comes the URL. It's cs.co slash podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined, as I often am, by my wonderful co-hosts, Matt and Cassidy. What's up, y'all? Hello. Hello. It's my favorite time of year. We're going to talk about the April Fool's joke, why we did it, how we did it, why we will never stop doing it. So we're going to welcome to the show, Ben, Kelly, and Aaron Shiki. Yeah, <laughs> nailed it. Ben, Aaron, welcome to the show. Excited to talk about the April Fool's Day prank. Yes. So before we get going on the April Fool's stuff, we always ask folks to just give us a quick flyover. Who are you? How'd you get started working with software code design? And yeah, how'd you kind of end up in what your current role is and you know what is that? Yeah, actually, I started programming for real like in college. I uh, did some dabbling a little bit before that, but um, got started programming for real in college. I figured out pretty quickly that the easiest way to get like a GUI app that people would actually use would with a web page. And so it was super easy to get started, way easier than you know WX widgets and C++, which is what I was doing at the time. And the, the rest is history. I pretty much just got into it and I just like really got into it. And then from then on, I was like full stack with a focus on front end and um, nobody who's a full stack developer wants to do front end. So that earned me out a little niche. And for folks who are listening, what is it you do? Like what's your title and your sort of your day-to-day here at Stack Overflow? Oh, my title is Stack Overflow is senior front end developer, tech lead on the Stacks design team, something like that. I give designers the tools to push pixels around. The, the pixel pushers. Yes. Aaron, you have been on the show before with me to talk about dark mode, which again, takes us back to Stacks. Before we get to sort of defining for our listeners what Stacks is, Aaron, just give us your quick flyover. What you know got you into this world? What you've been working on Stack? I know you're heading off to work on something new. You can tell us about that. And then, yeah, let's, let's dive into what is Stacks. That'll help folks understand why you two work together and on April Fool's and how we do front-end design here at Stack Overflow. So I'm a designer that codes. Code has always been a way for me to further what I'm working on. It's way easier to communicate 
in that medium when you're at a company full of engineers. Also, it's Stack Overflow. It's freaking Stack Overflow. Yeah. To be able to talk in that medium has always been super important to me. So I cut my teeth making websites, and then I moved over to Adobe to make tools for people who make websites. Then I headed to GitHub to make tools for people who make tools. And then the next gig was Stack Overflow. Yeah, so I was a designer. I got hired as a designer, still a designer. And I quickly went to all the different lines of business at Stack Overflow and worked on the front end there and realized very soon that there was an opportunity to formalize a lot of the code into a design system. And at the time, design systems weren't really called that. It was just CSS libraries or or what have you. And so myself and some other designers at Stack Overflow formalized that into a design system that we call maybe somewhat confusingly, Stacks. Yes. <laughs> yes. Nailed it. So you can look at that. It's open source. You can look at that at stackoverflow.design. Uh, and we host that on Netlify. And yeah. it's sick. Yeah, we really love it. So we publish right to that website and everybody can use it to build the front end of Stack Overflow. Stacks is super interesting. And I don't think I fully realized that it existed. Like I knew I knew there was some instance of something on Netlify because I used to work at Netlify and everyone was like, ooh, Stack Overflow and us, so fun. But how did you use it for the April Fool's prank? And also, could you describe the prank because not everybody knows what it was? So Stacks is a shared CSS library that powers all of the Stack Overflow stuff. Ben and I worked on a theming API that anybody could hack into. And so Ben really took the April Fool's prank and implemented it. So Ben, talk about that. How did you do that? How did you use Stacks? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I had been approached on the April Fool's Day prank, like saying, hey, we want to do like these like filters, right? And like a filter for Stack Overflow, like a Snapchat filter or something. We want to like <laughs> make one of the pages look like an old Amiga or something like that. You know, is that doable? I'm like, well, we can do better than that. Like, the whole site is almost the whole site. We got some legacy stuff out there. It is powered by our Stacks design system, which um, gives us a whole consistent set of uh, components, you know, buttons, links, modals, whatever. And is actually backed by a really powerful um, like theming API, both with like, like static colors, which are like red, green, blue, and shades of that, but also like custom quote theme colors, which are like you know what collectives, teams, and enterprise tap into to do um, custom like dynamic theming for their users. So I was like, yeah, we can do one step better, really. And we can just do the whole site all at once in one go. That would, you know, with not too too much work, hopefully. Yeah, like people really were like, oh, yeah, that sounds cool. I'm not really so sure. So I whipped up a quick proof of concept and um, whipped up that terminal theme that actually ended up going into uh, production for the April Fool's Day theme. And people were just kind of blown away. They're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that this was so powerful that we have so much control here. So, you know, we were able to really, you know, get in there and, uh, shake things up because everything was all using the one new system. So for that specific theme, you made everything pretty much stark black in the background. You changed the font to like a console font and then made all the text like lime green, not even like a modern terminal, like to be clear, (laughs) right? It was... I actually went and looked up the color codes for the VT, what is it, 264, something like that. I actually went and looked up the original manuals for that and pulled some of the color codes. I was going to take it even further and do like the reds and blues (laughs) <laughs> you know, whatever, all those like original colors, but I didn't get to it. And like, we even turned off the anti-aliasing on the text. So it was like super jagged and yeah. hopefully looked like a super old machine. I say we, I mean, Ben. 
<laughs> specifically. It really kind of shows the power of a consistent design system, though. Like anybody could do something like this if a design system is actually obeyed, which can be rare in a big company. We describe it as we've installed all the knobs that one could twist to make Stack Overflow look like anything. So rounded corners, you know, as a tiny example, uh, shadows, all the colors, typefaces. We now have this control panel that, for lack of a better metaphor, that you could make it look like whatever you want. And so when an opportunity like April Fool's comes along and we want to really stress the system and see what we can do, some of those themes were wild. For sure. And I imagine because this is a capability, do you see that Stack Overflow potentially using it more in the future to make more themes? I, I know that there's a design system for a reason. There's there's rules and stuff. But do you see something like this being more permanent or used in the future? Yeah, absolutely. We actually already, like I mentioned, we already use it for Teams Enterprise Collectives to do the theming there. But we actually are also use it to theme our network sites um, in a diminished capacity. You know, so it would be really nice to see, and I'm not going to make any promises here because I don't control roadmaps and I don't want to tip our hand a little bit because we do have some really cool stuff coming up from this, but I would love to see us lean into that more and use it to theme more network sites. You know, we can commit to accessibility stuff. Like we're obviously going to be working on, we do have a beta of high contrast modes right now. Oh, nice. So we shipped that and that works in both light and dark modes. I've dabbled in changing typefaces to make it easier to read for people who are dyslexic, that kind of thing. So beyond product features, there's just base accessibility stuff that we can do. So I was having a look at the Stack Overflow design website before, and it was really, really cool. Like the design is fantastic, first of all, but you've got the option to change dark mode, custom theme, high contrast mode, and all of those look fantastic. One of the things I would love to hear about is From a business perspective, implementing a design system as comprehensive as what you've described is a huge investment. I would love to know kind of like how you approach that from a business case perspective, what kind of hurdles you encountered or how you kind of sold the value that a design system like this can bring to a business. Yeah. So the design system came out of the design org. And originally, the way we came about it was to create an atomic CSS library. Atomic CSS libraries were very new at the time. I think with both design systems and Atomic CSS, those were pretty radically new ideas that most companies have adopted, at least design systems have. But it was an unpopular idea at first. So when I first encountered Atomic CSS, I thought I I was really dubious. I was really skeptical of it. Kind of flew in the face of all of the current best practices until I used it. Diana at GitHub was amazing, and she actually introduced the Atomic CSS library that they use, Primer, there. And I used it, and it was amazing. It was this huge gasoline to a fire that it quickly got out of hand, and we were shipping stuff amazingly quick. So I wanted to do the same thing at Stack Overflow, and convincing people was tricky. Part of what I did was I just had to build the thing. And so I took, you know, those afternoons that are in between meetings and shipping stuff and and really just built the first versions of the Stacks design system. And then I hopefully, uh, in a friendly manner, uh, just kind of roadshowed it a little bit. I challenged people to 
let's build something with atomic classes and let's build something traditionally. What are you working on? Let me show you how you could build it in this new system. I did that enough times where um, it just kind of took off and we were able to convert more and more of the UI to this atomic system. Now, the weird thing about atomic classes is you wouldn't want to describe buttons or popovers or these kind of more component things with just atomic classes. So once we started to formalize things like buttons and all of these other components, that's when the design system took a more traditional shape. This is like relevant, but also not relevant. Something that I think is interesting about Stack Overflow is it's one of the few companies that really uses top-level domains differently compared to other companies where it's stackoverflow.blog, stackoverflow.design, all all of these different URLs instead of all branching off of stackoverflow.com. Is that because they use different design systems or is it like a different site, different teams, that sort of thing? Or is it all part of a big code base? I, I know that's kind of somewhat off topic, somewhat on topic, but I'm interested in that. Well, so we have a single repo that powers most of Q&A. When we were building the design system, we were a scrappy company, believe it or not. We were a scrappy team. It was really just me and my free time. And I wanted to use tools that we didn't require a procurement team for example, to, to get I, stuff that I didn't require too much oversight or a credit card. And so I was very easily able to spin up a Netlify site to host the documentation at this domain. And that was very easy for me to get feedback across the company instead of, say, going to some engineer, borrowing some cycles and like, how do I spin up a new URL at stackoverflow.com? Um, and it also helped to just mm-hmm. like focus it you know, this is a a design effort. This is what it's about. You go here, it's only about that. And then there was some other benefits to like redundancy. The design system would always be independent of Stack Overflow in case one went down. But to answer your question about like multiple design systems, all of those URLs use Stacks as a library. So we don't really care where it's hosted. You You can just NPM install Stacks and and you get all the stuff. For people who might be curious about Atomic CSS and building their own design libraries like this, would you say that there's a definite point where something like this becomes really viable or necessary? Or what kind of use case, I think, what kind of company and product would benefit best from implementing a a system like this? I can talk about that a little bit. I think that pretty much any company of any sort of size would benefit from doing this. The major benefit it gives you is that all your designs are going to be consistent. You know, we've got padding classes and like, let's say you'd look at a big one like Tailwind, very, very, very popular atomic CSS uh, framework or library. And like all the padding classes are consistent. You've got, you know, padding one, two, three, four, and like they're consistent all the way across the site. A designer shoots you mockups and you say, okay, well, look, that's definitely like padding two. And now it's definitely padding four. I don't have to guess, you know, I don't have to guess what button to use, what colors to use. I don't have to go ask the designer, like which colors did you use here? Like it's, it's super, super nice to have just this one design language that, that you can use everywhere. But I also remember like when we first, when I first started here, um, four ish years ago, I started on the teams team, actually full stack. We were still writing a little bit of less at the time or CSS at the time. Less is a preprocessor composed of less. We were still writing a little bit of CSS at the time. And we were still kind of like getting over that hump, like using the atomic CSS. I was a little dubious at first too. I'd never really done anything like that. And, uh, 
I found the the benefits of it very quickly, like outweighed the dubiousness. I really started becoming a champion of that internally. And um, it's like pretty much, I think that there's not been like any new single line of CSS written by any of the devs in just an incredibly long amount of time. And it's very impressive because CSS is one of those things that's really easy to screw up, really easy to like get a very slightly subpar design out because the padding's a little off here. Right. Or just reality is different from a screenshot or, or a design document. It's something that I've seen a lot of debate about online where it's just like, is this just recreating inline CSS or is it just another language you have to learn on top of the dev languages that you already know? But at the same time, if you do know that language and can learn it relatively quickly, it saves you so much of reinventing the wheel. Yeah, my argument there is it's not like in line CSS at all. Like it's something I thought too, right? But like the benefit there is that it's consistent everywhere. You know, P4 means you've got four pixels of padding or whatever, you know, or four EMs or something. And you've got background dash danger and it's always going to be the same color everywhere. You know, you're going to have a class for background danger anyways. Like why not make it, make it something that's consistent throughout background danger, background success, background, whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's my argument to that. I'm, I'm a sold convert. It reminds me of a friend of mine used to work on Internet Explorer back in the day. And there was a point where she was saying that they were switching over to Edge and and transferring some stuff, but not other stuff. And they realized that they had 45 different blues, just the color blue in the browser. And she was just like, people were just making it up and eyeballing it. And we just let this happen. And so when they ended up scrapping all of it to just make it something on top of Chromium, they they had a much more consistent design system for that. Because like you said, if you're going to have a background danger anyway, it might as well be the same everywhere. The interesting part about that is we have 10 blues. (laughs) Right. We have true blue and then we have powder. And then technically we Mm. have theme secondary, which is configured to be blue. And that's how we power everything, really. So we have all of these steps that you can say, I want blue 400, which is like the purest blue. And then if you want to go darker, you can do blue 900. And the thing that really busted this, the, the theming wide open for the API was that we can, we can build those steps using any arbitrary color now. And so in the terms of theming, if we want to change primary and secondary to whatever color that we want, we have the full expressive API there. So at the lightest end, you can say theme primary 50, which would be in our case, orange, a really light orange if you want to have just a a thing behind some text that says alert or what have you. And then you can also have that very expressive orange 400, which is our branded color that's in our logo. And then we can do all that swapping on the fly for dark mode, for high contrast mode, for wild April (laughs) Fool's themes. If we want it to be lime green for an afternoon, we can do that. Or for, say, your team, your Sakura Flow for Teams team, your primary color is green, let's say. You know, all the tags go from that blue with a dark blue border to a green with a dark green border, just automatically. It's like Lego pieces, it feels like, where, where you can use all of these building blocks to create a site and not have to make one out of clay to fit in your castle. This appeals to me for a number of different reasons, because I'll, I'll be completely honest, CSS is not something I terribly enjoy doing for kind of like just general like formatting and business logic. I like creating cool stuff in the web browser, like P5.js and like 3D things. That's all stuff I can really get behind. 
But for me, I get much more enjoyment out of building the actual like functional building box behind a website that actually makes it do stuff. I'm much more heavy and invested into the JavaScript side of things than the CSS side of things. And that might be partly because I haven't spent the time to fully kind of appreciate and use CSS as a tool. I end up getting frustrated with it because I don't know how to use it properly. But I just, I enjoy doing kind of like working through all the state management and getting things to actually do stuff. So everything that you've just said about Atomic, where you do the work up front and then just use that as Lego pieces for your castle just to plug things in and it should all just work. I love this idea a lot. We also have a JavaScript layer too. So things like popovers and modals and and those kind of things, we do offer APIs for hiding and showing and and doing all that. And we actually use Stimulus as a a library for that. That's from the Basecamp folks. Mostly because it just, it doesn't really care what your markup is or where it came from. So, you know, Ben was alluding to, we've got a lot of legacy stuff at Stack Overflow. We've, we've been a product for 14 years now. It's, Time flies, man. That's wild. (laughs) I know. Well, that's the thing with oxygen. You know, it's just very old. It's been there forever. And so there are parts of the app that, let's say we wanted to adopt React, you know, that would probably be pretty tricky unless we're really diving in. And so Stimulus allowed us to get some reactivity out of our layouts and, and interfaces. Do you think there comes a point where you have a product that's been around for so long and moving forward into the future of you know a website like Stack Overflow, where there's a lot of new technology that comes out that solves a lot of problems that historically have been there, do you think it'll get to a point where it becomes like you're wrestling too much with the legacy, and there becomes a business case to build new? Like, do you think you know products that were built 10, 15 years ago will continue to kind of stay the course, or they'll eventually have to be rewritten and built from scratch? I think about that every day. In my darkest moments, I want to throw the whole thing away. I mean, there is some (laughs) truth to, I could do this in a weekend, I swear, when you're adopting new technologies. But you can't recreate the 14 years of folks being there and falling in love with the product. And, And even if they don't love the product, they know how it works. There has been quite a bit of internal conversation about, can we redo parts of the site using newfangled technology? What would happen if we spun up uh, login and sign up as a React app, for example? Could we consume stacks using React? The answer is, yeah, we could. It's a tricky debate, and it's well above my pay grade, I'll, I'll tell you that much. It reminds me of the concept that the Astro framework has been pushing out about like islands architecture where you have different islands of, I almost said stacks, uh, islands of tech stacks though, where where you could have one website where a big ch- section of it is Vue and a big section of it is React and other various frameworks. And because they all connect at certain base layers, you can kind of build these, again, islands where, where you could add stacks to each one or different CSS libraries or frameworks to others. Well, where do you, what do you call a framework and where do you draw those lines? I, I could make the argument that Stack Overflow is built in .NET, which is a framework and we're using Razor. We're not, I don't know, it's not static HTML, of course. So where do you draw that line? And would we ever adopt maybe just a backend API that then is hydrated in a view app? for example, mm. 
Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's um, definitely something to think about, but you have to be a little cautious about chasing the shiny, right? Because what happens is that you chase the shiny and you get it in one place and then the new shiny comes up and you put it in another place and then suddenly you've got a big pile of refuse that's covered in shiny, right? And none of it works. <laughs> I've seen this in the past. I don't want to experience it again. So you got to be careful with, with that as well. I mean, you also have to be careful, like, oh, you know, um, let's do a little bit of this in view, a little bit of this in React, even if that's the only two things you did. I'm just using two things randomly. I don't have a specific opinion on either of those frameworks in this case. But, um, you know, but then you have developers who are like okay at Vue and okay at React, and no one's actually good at anything. So you got to be really careful about your how you do things holistically. But there is definitely a, at some point where you have to say, okay, like this version of jQuery from 2015 is gotta go we gotta at least get on jquery 2 right like um things like that so and, and there's also like that <laughs> deal, like okay let's add stimulus yeah hypothetically speaking and also like adding something like stimulus over the top or you know, something like that <laughs> of course to get a little a little more shiny but i've seen that happen quite a few times where especially i think it's quite common at agency environments where you have a whole bunch of different projects and developers and you're trying to pick the best tool for the job and then even if you've got like a main product site and somebody gets the idea to try and implement React or Vue or whatever it happens to be at that specific time, and then you get all these different microservices that come through, and then you've got to support all these different languages, you get front-end devs coming in who then, they don't know Vue or they don't know React or they're on an Angular dev or PHP, whatever else, and then you just have these really fragmented skill set where nobody's really able to contribute in a meaningful way quickly, and it becomes quite disruptive. And I've seen some agencies as well that they describe themselves as full JavaScript shops. So that means that anybody who does know JavaScript can come and can kind of contribute to each different areas as they come in. But it's it's interesting, like the whole landscape of front end and ev- everything that's going with CSS libraries and everything else. I'm curious as to where it's going to go long term, to be honest, and how I'm going to manage the scale and all the different tools that, that we have to learn to do our jobs. Yeah, the front end ecosystem is really growing at a very quick pace. And in some ways, that's good. We're getting some really cool stuff out of it. Some ways that's bad. We're getting a lot of turnover and people are getting fatigued. And, you know, in some ways that's worse. Like, you know, Redux is what's hot right now. What was hot before Redux? I don't even remember the name of it. I wish I could because I was going to make fun of it. I didn't use it personally, but like, that's what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to make fun of it because it's old. And <laughs> yeah, and it's like two years ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's like not that long ago, right? So. Right. It kind of ebbs and flows where I think five years ago, we were just like, oh, there's a new framework every minute. Then it felt like it slowed down. And then suddenly they all popped up at once. And we're in that peak again of just tons of frameworks coming out and lots of ideas, which I think ultimately will be good because we are only getting better. But you're right. It's going to be a lot of fatigue, rollover, people not sure what they should learn. It's I pity the newbie who has to figure out what which thing is the best thing to learn at any given time. It's so hard. The low-level frameworks are getting better and better each day as well. I mean, CSS, yeah. this year alone, I've seen more stuff come out that I'm cautiously optimistic for, but the browser, the browser landscape is is such that what used to take five years, you're like a release away from being able to realistically target. So a lot of the stuff that we're talking about with the theming API is like, it feels like it's right around the corner. Yeah, CSS colors for, I think yeah, it is. just native in the browser. Similarly, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening around web components and we might be building stuff natively and mm-hmm. then spitting it out to these frameworks because the the native low-level libraries are getting that much more powerful. Right. Well, and even with like React, for example, this new version 18 that just came out took years 
to develop. And it used to be like, oh, there's a new React version every few months. And, and React wow. is now, it's hard to believe, almost 10 years old, which is crazy. But now every single change is much more deliberate and it's much more backwards compatible. And it feels like it's trying to be more like we're being smart about this thing that you can use in the browser and, and take advantage of its capabilities. And I think that is a good thing that they're being thoughtful about because they're, they're so big and millions and millions of developers probably use React. And I think all of these other frameworks are going to be following where the browser is very powerful. It's basically an operating system when you compare it with mobile applications, for example. And, and so being able to use it as such means that you want to build in a smart way that takes advantage of it. Or to even be able to look at uh, existing technology in a different way. There's nothing new about Atomic CSS. It's just a completely different rethinking about how to interact with it. We could see something like that with JavaScript. Like there's, uh, and I'm looking forward to, to stuff like that. Do we want to do recommendations today? If anyone's got any cool tech shoutouts? Aaron, Ben, is there anything cool tech-wise that is top of mind for you? Well, actually, you know what? My first shout-out would be if any of this stuff sounds cool that we're doing, we're hiring on our front end team. So if you all think you got the chops, apply. We want you. As far as cool tech things, I've been working with Svelte recently. I'm really digging it. Really digging Svelte quite a yeah. bit. Tailwind. A lot of people, everyone I know who's tried Svelte just in the Twitter verse, I'm not saying it's a cult just yet, but everyone <laughs> seems to be extremely <laughs> passionate by how good it is. Yeah, I just picked it up recently and just to try it out. I'm like, you know what? I, I like this. One of those things on the pile. I'll, I'll get to it as soon as yeah. I can. <laughs> That's how I feel too. <laughs> I have been very curious lately about just kind of edge functions in general. It's been very hyped by all these different Jamstack companies and everything. And and I've poked around with Netlify's beta of edge functions and, and there's Cloudflare's version of it and Vercel's version of it. There, there's all these different versions of it, but I feel like it could be a really interesting way to do static sites that are more optimized for your geolocation and for for just things that might interest you in personalization and stuff and, and dabbling with it, haven't built anything serious with it, but it's been interesting. Yeah, I want to dabble with that too. Just haven't gotten around to it, like you say. <laughs> Speaking of getting around to it, I found a lifeboat, which we can we can say and finish off the episode. So today's lifeboat, for those of you who don't know what a lifeboat is, a lifeboat is an answer score of 20 or more to a question score of negative three or less that goes on to receive a score of three or more. This badge can be awarded multiple times. And this one in particular goes to CJOZ for answering the question, how do I do a database backup on Amazon RDS every hour? So thank you very much to CJ contributing to the site. And thank you everyone else for tuning in to this podcast, Ben and Aaron. Really appreciate your help and support getting April Falls out the way. Everyone really enjoyed it. I personally enjoyed the Mario theme that came out. It's one of mine. Nice. Yes, thank you. That was that was absolutely wicked. So appreciate your help on that one. Today, I've been Matt Kianander. I'm a technical advocate at Stack Overflow. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you've got any questions, feedback, anything else, email podcast at stackoverflow.com. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us, podcast at Stack Overflow with questions or suggestions. If you listen to the show a lot and you email us there, I will shout you out. So a uh, longtime listener, send me an email and hear yourselves broadcast on this program. And last but not least, if you enjoy the Stack Overflow podcast, go ahead and leave us a rating and a review on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps. Yeah, so I'm Aaron Sheiky. You can find me on Twitter mostly, but it's at Aaron Sheiky literally everywhere. 
Also, AaronShiki.com, of course. I'm Ben Kelly, senior front-end engineer at uh, Stack Overflow, and you can't find me anywhere online because I'm one of those losers who doesn't have social media. I don't think you're a loser. I think you're an actual winner <laughs> in this case. <laughs> I appreciate the uh, the confidence. I'm a loser with social media. I'm Cassidy at Cassidy, C-A-S-S-I-D-O-O. You can find me at that on most things. Thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in. We will see you again next week. Bye. Bye.